Welcome to Rehab Within Reach. We are your hosts, Dr. Chrissy Rankin, physical therapist and CrossFit Level 1 coach. And I'm Dr. Sarah Nelson, a physical therapist, and I'm board certified in women's health and lymphedema therapy, and I also hold a master's degree in orthopedic manual therapy. And I'm Dr. Shona Craig. I'm also a physical therapist, a board certified women's health clinical specialist, certified lymphedema therapist, and yoga teacher. We are a collective of women from various backgrounds who support each other and the community around us that have one thing in common, therapy solutions. This podcast will be addressing how the body, mind, and spirit work together to create our current state of being while offering a refreshing approach to how to create harmony within each system. Our treatment philosophy is to empower people through education by combining modern evidence-based practice with our innate primal wisdom in order to promote body literacy and compassion in your personal healing journey. Even though our professional background started in physical therapy, we take an integrative and holistic approach by addressing all systems of the body in order to bridge the gap between the current medical model in the United States and your ability to make autonomous decisions to achieve independence and wellness. This podcast is meant to challenge you to think in ways that may feel uncomfortable at first, but don't worry. Remember, our goal is to provide resources in order for you to make the best decisions for your well-being, which may go against what most of our society suggests is quote-unquote healthy or correct. As a reminder, this podcast does not replace the medical examination, assessment, and plan of care from a licensed medical provider who has seen you personally. Let's get started. I okay. I spent the weekend, um, I'm recording the Dr. Vodder lectures uh, for Korea, and I feel compelled to make them as good as I can, and so I'm updating the material. So I did some recordings this weekend, and... I like the improvements I'm making in it. Yeah. All right. That was kind of my thing. And we're stuck inside because the fire smoke. Oh, really? It's really bad. The the air quality is, you should not be outside without a mask on. It's bad. How long has that been going on? I haven't really been paying attention. It was Saturday. Yeah. Are you getting it in Walla Walla, Chrissy? Yeah, um, we are. Um, yesterday you could smell it, and Saturday you could smell it, but then this morning it's not as smelly, but you could still see it. So um, not sure if it's like some fog because it's cooler now or exactly what it is. Yikes. Yeah, maybe by tonight it's supposed to disperse. That would be nice. Yeah, I know we're supposed to get I... rain and, and yeah. I thought I escaped the wildfires moving back east, but this summer was weird. Twice. Well, the Canadian stuff, yeah. right? The Canadian yeah. fires. Yeah, um, I had never experienced that before living all my life living on the East Coast. And then all of a sudden, <laughs> it's just... Our changing times. <laughs> yeah. Oh, no. Yeah. So there's been a lot. And then, I mean, in like the ju- ju- the juxtaposition between what Western Canada is dealing with and Spokane and Maui and then 
California is getting like historic floods again for the third time this year. Um, it's just uh, yeah. just wild. Yeah, it definitely makes me think about like Gordy's future and you know where we're living and what he's gonna mm-hmm. deal with. Um, it's a bigger deal to like pick a place where we're gonna where he's gonna live like considering not living near near the coast or areas that get these wrecked with these storms and fires as much i think ithaca is pretty good for the most part like it's more inland and yes we get harsh winters but knock on wood it's not been the worst weather patterns compared to other places somewhere there's a map that uh has predictions of what every area is facing as their risk as climate changes. Mm. So if you could find that, you could see. Uh, That's helpful. That would be yeah. Helpful. And this is a great segue into uh, postpartum and postpartum. all the things that you have to think about that include not just how do I take care of a baby? <laughs> right. The bigger world problems. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then yeah. I think it's interesting is like our parents' generation and even before that, that that question of do I have to be more concerned about where I live because of climate change? Like that question was never asked, right? It's interesting that we're in this this road of of some new questions that have never been asked before and like what do we do with it yeah yeah just make me think i know we said topic postpartum but um i'm getting some younger clients and i realize you know what the the 20 somethings are facing and then the teens you know those it's a very uncertain future and the future is always uncertain and scary. When I was young, we had other things we worried about, but that's the nature of it. But these particular changes that are happening uh, make it very um, scary, uncertain for the younger generations, because they're going to figure out how are they going to live into old age? Will they get to live into old age? Yeah. Um, there's a lot of apathy with the girls on our teams that we coached um, uh, because yeah, their, their future isn't so linear and it's, there's a lot more that they are aware of, you know, as a younger generation there, they know way more than I ever did um, at their age in terms of um, like how we're all connected in the world. And um that whole, and they saw us millennials, like, do a path that we thought was, like, what we're supposed to do, and then we're struggling, and they're like, well, wait, that's, like, that's not what I want to do, and I want to do it differently, and, um, but they're, but then it's hard to get, you know, like, motivated to, to, like, put in the work, because, you know, they saw us millennials do that, and not, benefit from it as much as we thought we would and maybe it's we'll benefit from it in 20 years or more but you know that's a long time to wait like, <laughs> to college and getting a degree and then 
Yeah, um, yeah. Still having I'm having all three all degrees and yeah. yeah, exactly. Being happy in our careers and like yeah, then wanting to yeah quit our jobs and be independent and you know. I think that, yeah, that is kind of the millennial story of get, of being really smart and having a lot of degrees and then being unhappy and then, um, yeah. And not getting the, the benefit that we thought we would get, right. You know, it's just, um, I think yeah, a lot of people thought it would, there'd be more return on investment in something like that, you know, mm-hmm. um, which is really sad that we're all just kind of like floating along now and like just waiting until the next catastrophe which seems to be like every month (laughs) this is so dark (laughs) yeah it is really dark (laughs) I wonder if it is kind of the um, transition of the human because in my generation you know the thing was to get married and have kids and and also there was like get your education get married and have kids because my generation was kind of a transition generation, I think, mm-hmm. where women were yeah. said, get out in the workforce. And then for uh, that period of time, it's like you were supposed to do everything. Um, yeah. But I remember reaching the same place where I'm like, well, okay, this is what's supposed to be making me happy. And I don't feel that happy. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's a big thing that I think um women are contemplating recently is that you know the women's rights movement has been amazing for so many reasons um but it almost has swung so far into the direction of then women have to do it all like we have to have babies raise a family take care of the home and have a full-time job um and then it's become like we just wanted women i think ultimately want choice and freedom Mm -hmm. and it's become like oh now we don't have a choice a lot of women don't have the choice to if they did want to focus on raising kids and staying home a it's kind of still seen as taboo and looked down upon um to stay home and not have a job and b it's a lot of times financially people are unable to Mm -hmm. give up work Mm -hmm. and then so women are just getting so burnt out and they're not happy. Some women are like, that's what they want to do. And like, that's great. They, they want to work and have a career and a more career driven. Um, and that's great. But I, I know for myself, I reached that point of realizing that I wanted to kind of play out my more feminine role and not work full time. Um, and especially those first couple of years to really focus on the baby and home life and then have the ability to go back to work on my own schedule and balance that um, home family work-life balance. Um, And luckily I have some more financial freedom to do that than a lot of people. Um, But I went through a struggle too of like feeling bad about myself or not like, because I just had that mindset ingrained in me of like, you should be a strong independent woman like don't rely on your partner um, for financial um, support. Don't, you know, you should be working. Like, I don't know, for some reason, the stay-at-home mom, like, picture in my head was sort of like, I used to even, like, poo-poo that. 
I think just because culturally that's what I was taught Hmm. so I went through this internal struggle of being of like realizing that's what I wanted and then like I don't know accepting it I still have trouble accepting it of just saying like yeah I stay at home (laughs) even though I do like also own a business with my partner running short-term rentals and I do that but I can do that on my own time which is nice um anyways I guess this all ties into postpartum and like trying to going through a lot like a crisis of identity and um I think a lot of like instinctual feelings come out during that time of what it is that you really desire or don't desire um and then having to sift through what you've learned through your family or through culture versus like what you really want uh, moving forward yeah, and I think you nail on the head about saying about choice, right? Like, I think sometimes feminism can get a bad rap of of like what you just said, like trying to be it all. But in reality, it's like we just wanted choice, and we just wanted um, equality or equity in the fact of that I don't need a a husband to. Uh, get a mortgage or get a credit card or make um, choices for my health right Um, and so I think unfortunately there is a bad rap on on some people find um, why I think sometimes people find the idea of feminism um, bad uh, because they think it's like you're forcing me to do things I don't want to do, but in reality, it's just about choice. And you know it right on the head. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah. We just wanted to be able to, like you said, like live our own life and not rely on anyone. We didn't want to mm-hmm. be able to get a divorce because and not have to be stuck in that situation because we were financially dependent and couldn't buy a house. Yeah. Or, yeah we wanted to vote, of course, like, yeah be a part of society in that way and um oh for sure like (laughs) very thankful for the feminist movement in all the ways and now I think it's like Mm -hmm. like we've come this far and now we just keep focusing on like what was free what does freedom mean to us Mm -hmm. as a woman and I think yeah it is just the freedom to choose and follow what it is that we really want to do in this life um wow so many thoughts here (laughs) i actually at one point was in a church where women had no vote and i participated in that (laughs) (sighs) i mean i wanted to be a good christian and i was being told that this is what the bible said about women wow yeah I took your advice and started reading that Feminine Courage book. Oh, yeah. And I, um, I'm i only in the first chapter because um, I, I wanted to make sure because at the end of every chapter, there's like a, a, like a little work, a workshop, you know, at the end. And I wanted to make sure that I had full capacity to, you know, to do them. And, um, I didn't realize how much, um, like religious 
content would be in it, but it's not in a sense of like trying to prove something with the Bible. It was more of like, let's interpret Christianity and the Bible a little bit differently than what mainstream and probably what, and truly what the intent of like Christianity is supposed to be about. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and at first when I started reading, I was like a little like, Oh, I, cause I wasn't quite, I, I didn't quite know. And so, um, at first I was like, Oh, do I want to go this route? And then I thought, actually, this might be really healing for me in terms of religious trauma and having, um, uh, a not so cynical view of Christianity. Um, cause if I think about, you know, the interpretation and how the, the people have interpreted in all religions, potentially, um, but especially in Christianity, how, um, the interpretation has definitely been uh, skewed in one way. Um, and so I think it, it will help me also understand, um, what the original teachings were and that there are other interpretations that are more about um, um, equality. And so, um, so yeah, I'm starting that, starting that book as well. Whole different perspective. Did they talk about Lilith? Did you, the, the, they, uh, they brought it up just quickly. Um, and then that they, it says it's going to talk about it in a little bit. So, so uh, yeah. What's it called again? Uh, Feminine courage. And, yeah, uh, so Judy Dirks and I and Cheryl Kulas um, were doing our retreat. We've got our location. Um, <clears throat> we're going to do it at Grunwald's, Grunwald's Guild outside of Leavenworth. It's, it's an artist's guild, and it's our Open to Your Authentic Self retreat, and the topic is um, the Divine Feminine. And, oh, oh, wow. I'm going to join. <laughs> yes, come out. <laughs> Set it up there. We'll come and do it there. Um, and I'm and I'm exploring what is the feminine nature of our of of yoga because you know I love the our, our, um, the Iyengar yoga, which is very um, methodical, linear. Do this step, this step, this step. I love it. My masculine side, right? That's more uh, what. Well, you know, so if we talk about duality, masculine and feminine is not male, man and woman. They just are representative of um, opposite qualities. And, And our society puts so much emphasis on the masculine qualities. So our retreat is asking, what are the, the feminine qualities of, of, uh, divinity and, um, how do we express that? I, I think the masculine interpretation has overtaken modern Christianity and it wasn't always that way. Um, and so that book, the feminine courage, Judy Dirks founded and, and we've been reading it because, and we've put off putting this retreat on till uh, uh, April next year, because we oh, feel wow. like we need to explore it within our own selves. So like if I'm like exploring what is my feminine expression of the yoga that I do, how is that different? Um, and, and we're all, we're seeing this, this intention work through us, uh, all of us. And I was, Sheila Salinas as well as part of our group. And um, 
that's always been the, the foundation of that those retreats is um, our our shared um, friendship and uh, the challenges we have for each other to grow. I think you, the three of us do it here. Yeah. I love that. Um, so Lilith, people can read about her. I'm not an expert on this, but it's a really different take on um, a, a woman in um, biblical history that never gets talked about. Um mm. Does she like portray the divine feminine like traits? Is that her story? Um, so, okay, this is this is a definition. In rabbinic literature, Lilith is variously depicted as the mother of Adam's demonic offspring following his separation from Eve or um, as his first wife. Uh, so it's a little shocking. <laughs> yeah. Um, She's uh, it's it's a it's a, a darker side of mm-hmm. which I think in um, modern religion oh we don't want to look at that stuff we just want the shiny happy good stuff right <laughs> uh, and yeah. a, and actually practicing you know in my younger years trying to be that perfect example of the Christian wife uh, ended up me developing a really heavy unconscious load of negative because I I hadn't learned how to look at that part of me too. We really need to be able to um, see, you know, see our light, but see our darkness too. And so Lilith kind of represents that part that's in all of us, not just women, uh, men too, but. Yeah. This will make me think like um, sometimes what's considered dark feminine qualities are not actually bad. Like, Hmm. like being a sexual being um, Mm -hmm. and expressing your sexuality or being intuitive and sort mm-hmm. of like the, the image of the witch um, and women being martyred for that. Um, so it's like there are these more taboo feminine qualities that aren't actually bad and actually would probably be beneficial to be expressed. Um, and then there are, and it, I guess I've, I just listened to a podcast about like toxic femininity toxic masculinity mm-hmm. that's like different that's like i'm trying to remember what um an example of toxic femininity is is like um example maybe codependent well, like teaching others yeah and like teaching others that yeah. like boundaries don't exist you know essentially yes um, people pleasing um yeah I'm looking up some examples. Even just act like a lady is considered yes. femininity. Um, well, yeah, the adherence to gender binary in order to receive conditional value in a patriarchal society is toxic mm-hmm. femininity. Yeah. So, yeah. So you know what I mean? Like there's some traits that are considered dark and not okay, I feel like, in Christianity. 
um, because they value like purity and innocence and um, submission to men mm-hmm. and not have- expressing your sexuality or not expressing your intuitive like magical like nature as a woman and periods being dirty um, and like not being and having to hide that because women are inherently dirty it's mm-hmm. that is actually I think a misinterpretation and that's actually like a beautiful part of being a woman that I think should be revered and has been in other cultures at some points <laughs> I'm sure in mysticism mystical christianity too um and i think it's just more interesting to focus on like what is actually toxic feminine femininity um there's more to this definition i found it is a concept that restricts women to being cooperative passive sexually submissive gentle and deriving their value from physical beauty while being pleasing to men. Oh, that's perfect. <laughs> oh, God. That's exactly what you just said. <laughs> religions. Like, a lot of religions see that as a good thing. Well, so here's the postpartum thing. So I wanted to talk about postpartum because I have a couple um, patients now in that phase and I'm like, oh, I, I didn't, I want to support them better. And I see this, um, I, I see this in them where they're, I want to remove the process of postpartum and childbirth out of this toxic femininity. And, And what does it look like to own, own your role and fully embrace being a mom, but not get shoved into this, um, what we just said about toxic femininity. And, uh, and I think that the way that we are having women do childbirth and, and rearing children is just impossible. Um, yeah. It's such a, uh, it's such a dichotomy or what is it? It's like oxymoron that we we're supposed to be the freest society for women in the world. And yet we don't give support. Um, to, to women after birth. We want them back at work. Uh, yeah. So I, I'm seeing these women put the happy face on and they're not happy. Yeah, it and does come from the very beginning of like as soon as you get pregnant, there's this mindset of, oh, you poor thing. Like this is an illness. You're sick like, and you need your help from your doctor to get you through this. And, um, you can't, you won't be able to handle birth on your own. Like you're going to need that epidural and like, let us handle it. Like you don't need to go through that pain. And, and then this fear is instilled in us so that our power is totally like taken away. And it's, it goes along with that patriarchal like, um, attitude of women can't do it. Like they need to rely on the quote, like man. I mean, there's women doctors now, but originally I think it was men mm-hmm. um, and like they'll do it for you because you're just a poor woman and then yeah you have your baby and then they're like okay see ya <laughs> good luck <laughs> like we're not going to give you much nursing support we're not going to give you support in general oh and you should probably go back to work in like six weeks mm-hmm. um, and just like suck it up and 
like you're a free woman like you should be able to do it all like you said you wanted to be able to work so go and do that mm-hmm. and um and yeah it, and then I don't think we have a really great model of how everyone else can support the woman too like as the husband or the partner or the family um at all and I think it kind of breaks down it can easily break down um like even like in the partnership or in the family um the drama seeps in and the I don't know like I but then I look at different cultures like Ayurveda or Chinese medicine and I value what they have to say about it in that you know they say that the woman should rest for 40 days and should get an oil massage every day and be fed warm cooked meals and kept warm and not have to do the chores and her main role is to take care of the baby. And it's like, that does sound to some people like weak, I guess. Like, what do you mean the woman should stay in bed for 40 days? Like, doesn't that just play into her being a weak like woman that has to rely on everybody to do everything for her? When instead it's like, no, women deserve that rest and they deserve that space and attention in order to heal from giving birth, like one of the most powerful experiences ever, and then taking care of this tiny little thing that is totally dependent. And I think then then you're allowing the woman to be in her fullest power of like caretaking and um, for this child until she feels ready to like start taking on tasks slowly in her own way. Um, And it's just sad that a lot of times it's just not set up that way. So we're fighting against a system that doesn't support that. Um, I just, I just had this thought. It's like um, with with kangaroos, like the little baby comes out and goes into the pouch. And Mm. so it can't, it can't live on its own. And that's how the mother's caring for it during that time. And that, that's kind of like human mothers too. The baby is maybe on the outside, but it is still developing in that. And we should be as protective of the mother in that phase as through the whole pregnancy. It's not, you know, isn't it, is it, is it in the Chinese culture that they start, they start, um, I no, I don't know which culture it is, but you know, so like babies don't really count until they're like one year old or something, you know, because they have to still develop. They're still that makes sense. Yeah. I mean you're so like I just remember so much fear in the first several months because they can't really move. Like and you're so fearful of them like <laughs> like how they're laying. Like is their face too close to the pillow? Like is there don't put them on their stomach for too long, like and then they're just so, I mean, they're so strong at the same time, like, but they're so still delicate and developing and requiring like 24 seven attention and nursing and care. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It is crazy how underdeveloped they are when they come out, like some animals, they come out and they can walk. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. Humans are just these little blobs. <laughs> so, yeah. I find it because I think part of it is, because we have, I think the idea of pregnancy and postpartum, like, switched of, like, what is capable of people. So, like, I feel like we treat, well, because 
in medical school and in any type of graduate program in school in healthcare like everything is a disease to be treated or a pathology to be treated and mm-hmm. pregnancy is viewed that way instead of a normal physiological response in life and so in that regard and also because not only is there the carrier of the pregnancy um need to be treated but then people then shy on the like do no harm aspect because there's also another like life being affected by choices and so this idea of like women are and people who have are pregnant are have a disease that need to be treated or a pathology need to be treated so then they're viewed as fragile and and weak and then in postpartum, we're like, well, now the disease is gone, right? The pathology is gone. So in which, and like back to what you said, Shona, about like, this is the way that we think your birth should look like, um, which is a whole nother topic in itself of that discussion. Um, but now that the pathology is gone, then no more being weak, you're strong now, go at it. And um and but in reality it's like flipped like in reality and when you're pregnant like physiologically you are a superhuman <laughs> like you have more blood you have more oxygen capacity you have um and so much things that actually m- make you more physiologically superior than others <laughs> and with yeah. obviously with exceptions you know there are people that um have high risk pregnancies and have other comorbidities that make pregnancy a little bit more difficult so that is the exception to the rule um and then postpartum like just like any other surgery or or injury you know you're you need time to recover and for some reason in our culture we have it completely flip-flopped um and so expectations don't quite meet reality in that in that standpoint and I think and I, I really kind of changed or not changed my mind more of like embrace this idea of like, if we want change um, in our society in terms of moving those, those, those metrics to where they should be appropriately, then we need to start with our community, our local community. And if we have a little tribe that we are talking about this and supporting each other and, living in a communal way, then hopefully it might take a couple of decades or more, but hopefully then that goes into like regional and then that goes into the state and then we can make policy changes in the state level and then it goes federally, you know? So um, I think sometimes we think that like it has to go from the top down, but if we make changes in our community first and our local community, then it's going to bleed out from there. So. I think you're absolutely right. Yeah. Yeah, That's where you can change it. Yeah, because I've been finding, like, thinking about my my passion and, like, what is my why and why do I get up in the morning kind of a thing. And, you know, there for a little bit, because now I'm not in, I haven't, after next month, I won't be in healthcare for a year. And Mm -hmm. I've enjoyed learning new skills outside of healthcare, which I think in turn will help me when I do go back into healthcare. Um, 
but I think about my why because I, I sometimes then I'm like well do I not go back into healthcare uh just because um it would be easier not to go back into healthcare but when I think about and I, which I, I say easier that's all relative um and but then when I think about my why and my passion and it's making sure people who give birth are alive in order to live a, a healthy and productive life and improving the maternal mortality rate, you know, I can't, I have to do that in healthcare. <laughs> like I can't, you know, and so um, it's helped me like have those conversations about what do I want my life to look like and how do I help people in the long term and and what I'm talking about and you know I can't uh work at a winery and try to do that at the same time like there's no legitimacy at that point right um um, there's no skin in the game right um and so um so yeah it really helped me like figure out well how can we make this change and what do I need to do to do that it is tough to know how to participate in healthcare today (laughs) yeah because some of these things are large yeah yeah my mom what we were talking about yesterday I can bring it up right now she was talking about um oh she said oh oh talking about so we're there's a lot of things going on in both my husband's life and like my mom's side of the family about health and like figuring out like how are we going to make people like living longer and and better quality of life like throughout that time and um she was talking about she said um I guess my thought for me is if I can afford home care I would like that for a while and then move me into a facility when it gets too bad just visit me and show me pictures and always make sure I have a really soft blanket and pluck my chin hairs (laughs) (laughs) and then I said well, I think we could get really creative on keeping you at home for as long as possible. And the funny thing is, like, she's 57. Like, we're not even close to this. Um, but, and then I said, technology may be a point then in 20 years or something like that where, like, we can keep you more at home and, and have a better quality of life. And then she goes, well, only the rich will be able to access it. Sad. And I was like, burn it down, burn it down. <laughs> so like, I think, yeah. So like with healthcare and like, and how we like view all of this, it's like, we have, it, we kind of get to that point where it can really easily get to that radical lens of like, we just burn it to the ground, this current system and then rebuild. And now obviously that's not the right way to do it, but um, cause there'll be a lot of collateral damage at that point. Um, but I was, when she said that, I was like, yeah, you're getting it. Like, it's like, this is what we're having to deal with. And it's getting worse and worse every day. And if we don't do something to change it, you know, we're going to be in that situation. And I, I don't want to be in that situation. Yeah. And then I think about how you and I are not in health care right now, or you're not going to be. And I'm, you know, working in I'm doing Airbnb rentals, like, and managing that. <laughs> and it's like, you and I have such an amazing skill set to help people. And so part of me makes me a little sad that we're not using that. But I don't know, like, there's just so much resistance to 
working in healthcare, I think even within myself, um, even though I had like such an incredible experience with Sarah, there's just, there's just so much like frustration around like the insurance model and just the system in general and the way that we're treated and like in general, (laughs) I don't know. And I think that's where I've taken the time to really figure out like, well, how can I make healthcare and giving healthcare sustainable for me? And, and that has been, and which then in turn helps more people. And I think it is getting creative on those models and how, how can we live within the model that we currently have and make sure that we can use it to our advantage to make things equitable. And I think we just have to get, we have to get creative and then, you know, be in spaces that do change policy and so I am excited to go back into healthcare. Um, uh, I just, and I'm, and I'm really thankful for the break because I think one, I appreciate it more, right? Yeah. And, um, and what the capabilities are. And I've learned new skill sets that I think help in healthcare in the long term. Mm-hmm. Um, so definitely excited to get back. And then just thinking about, because then I was kind of thinking about um, instead of, the other problem that I think that we have is that we we take care of things, and this is going back into what Sarah you were talking about of like, um, we like deal with things after the fact, and not like let's try to prevent things. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, could a model of like kind of like could physical therapists with public health background like be kind of more like a midwife where? we see someone throughout the entire pregnancy and then we're at the, the childbirth and the labor and have like an elevated role and like as an assistant in that point and like working on like as a PT, like what you can focus on, obviously the midwife and the nurses are like, and the, and if you're OBs or anything like that are, are on that more medical side. So knowing your scope of practice. Right. And then postpartum, like, being able to do that massage, like, like the oil massage and uterine massage and abdominal binding, appropriate abdominal binding, you know, through those first six weeks and like, how, how can we do that? Right. Um, so that we can then prevent the things that people are dealing with, um, down the road. Um, and so I did some research or reading up on it to see if that, if people are even doing that and it does not look like anyone's doing that. And so could be something for us to go into and us meaning pelvic floor PTs and OTs um, could go into. Yeah. I I do feel a lot of passion towards doing postpartum care in that way. Like I would love to, if once I have more time in my life, maybe ever (laughs) like go to people's houses every day and like provide that care. But I think a lot of, people don't think they can afford it or it's mm-hmm. like, how do we make that accessible to everyone? I mean, yep. I don't know if that means That's trying to work with the insurance model um, to, you know, bill it as PT um, and work yep. with how many visits people have a year and stuff. Um, Cause even I, I mean, I got a massage once a week for a few weeks and even that I was like, Oh, this is just so much money. to like do every single week and for a few months that, and I was like, I really should be getting this every day, but like, how on earth can I, could I, like, I just don't want to see over a hundred dollars going out 
the door like every day <laughs> for mm-hmm. that long. And that's where we teach people self-massage. Yeah. But even Lex was like, you know, he was exhausted too and he needed massages too. So mm-hmm. <laughs> it was nice to have somebody else just do it for you when you're in that exhausted state. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. I don't know. Yeah. It's a tricky, how do we create that business model to, and work with a system to provide that care that is super, super needed? Yeah. Yeah. I don't, I see the problem. I don't necessarily have the answers. Uh. Well, that's what I love about our conversations too, is that we, we present these questions and we talk about it and we understand that there's so much nuance in all that we're talking about, that there's so many ways that we can answer it. And I think it allows us ourselves and our listeners to answer for themselves which is the point again back to again back to what we're talking about earlier of being making choices that and having the freedom to make choices um and we also have to be mindful of like our choices have consequences right and so teaching people that your choices can have consequences beyond yourself and 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 being okay with it so it's a fine balance again all nuance of balance between having the freedom of choice and knowing do your choices cause harm or do they cause um, joy? Do they cause um, freedom? Do they cause um, uh, not freedom? You know, like there's so many layers to it and it goes back to, I think we bring up all of like every other podcast about the, the elephant and the writer um, situation of morality codes and, what people choose as their morality codes. Well, I go back to the, I mean, this is kind of a seg, a, another direction that the reason I wanted to talk about this is I wanted to give people of childbearing years, you know, some knowledge about what they can do for themselves in that postpartum period, that it is a very important period and just getting back to, normal what is not is not the strategy you we've listed off different things both of you have said things that are um, have been done traditionally in the postpartum period to help women and uh, many women don't know this these things they're not um, natural we've sort of obliterated childbirth (laughs) obliterated the the rituals We've obliterated the rituals around childbirth with the modern rituals of of going to the hospital, of of having the focus on pain management in childbirth. Um, Interventions to make you comfortable. Yeah. And yeah. Yeah. And uh, so I do like the idea, Chrissy, of we as uh, physical therapists and the profession of physical therapy, it makes sense to be the ones to help walk people through this. And so I want to be better prepared for those patients. Um, the handout that I've put together so far, it, it's to me, it's inadequate. Um, you know, I, I was trying to compare 
um, the the current modern perspectives on postpartum health and the Ayurvedic perspective. And, you know, what I ended up with was the problems, you know, that we see in, from a Western perspective, like the depletion syndrome or um, thyroid disease, postpartum thyroid disease. And instead Ayurveda is, not looking for the problem, it's looking for uh, caring for the person's body so that it can calm down anything that was stirred up by the whole process and prevent any of these things from happening. Yeah. Um, but then I look at what that requires. Like, like you said, Shona, how are people afford that care? Mm-hmm. Right. Um, right. Yeah. And you know what it requires? It does require multi-generational living. And then we mock that. So true. Yeah. Yeah. The family, uh, on my mom's side of the family, there is one of our, uh, they live in a multi-generational, they have four generations in their house. Um, and my husband and I were able to to go visit them while we were on our, our big travels and, and yes, it could be chaotic and yes, um, everyone's kind of fighting for space, but uh, you know, when they were showing me around, you know, each little family unit unit had their own serenity space, you know, that they could retreat to if, if needed. Um, and how, despite in the chaos, it it seems so much more beneficial for everybody, right? In the long term, and so um, now that's not going to be for everybody because um, there's unfortunately a lot of trauma that people have had with within family systems, and and so how feasible is it for everyone to be in a communal living situation in terms of one household? I don't know, you know. Um, uh, but yeah, it was really interesting seeing seeing how it all kind of worked together. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry, I have to I have to go because Lex is um, Lex has to get back to work, so we're doing okay. a little trade. But you guys okay. continue to yeah. Okay. This is great. I have a lot yeah. to say yes. about this topic. <laughs> <laughs> More to say. Work. Yeah. I look forward right, to hearing it. <laughs> okay we'll see you there's yeah so so much to this topic isn't there yeah there is we pull yeah then we have to find a way that with with rising cost of living and finding that balance between making a living and helping people and where is that line like too much versus not enough? You know, I I don't know the answer. And I think it just takes trial and error to figure out that answer for sure. Yeah. Uh, I think there's a, this, you know, the, the, that idea though, what what 1% of the population has 99% of the wealth or, you know, 80% of the wealth or something like that. And we're all fighting over the $1. Um, Yeah. And until we bring equity into that, 
we're going to see these kind of pinches where there isn't enough money to go around to help the average person with what comes their way. Mm -hmm. Um, And it puts a squeeze on the people providing the care then too, Mm -hmm. financially. Um, That it seems to me like this conversation took a surprising direction because we, we did talk about some practicalities, but we also talked about the context of childbirth and that um, when we try to be mothers or fathers, but within the role I think I should fill instead of from my true center where I really feel most like myself and I feel more most happy and at peace and I parent from that place whatever that looks like uh, that that's what I hope for people because then I think that'll take care of some of the the sadness yeah I think that's that's beautiful and I'm and with with my own healing journey and and um both prior to um, just prior to my recent sabbatical and during the sabbatical with having a couple miscarriages that it's like, it makes you think like, am I living the life that I, I want to live? And am I living the, am I, am I being authentic to my true self and how um, there's been a lot in my life where I couldn't live my true self. And that is for whatever reason may be, there's so many reasons and that. um, And so now in my thirties, like how can I take back my authenticity without being an a-hole about it? Right. Um, So um, I think how you describing that is, is beautiful. Thank you. Another good conversation. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks, Chrissy. Yeah, thank you. I didn't realize you had another miscarriage. I did. Yep. It started... Um, it's been two months. Oh. It's been two months. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. So. How far along did you make it? Uh, that was, the second one was six weeks. Um, and mm. so we are going at, when we do decide to try one more time, um, if it happens again, then we will, you know, do genetic testing and do all of that. Um, uh, they recently changed the the recommendation to um, get testing after the second, but I just feel intuitively that we don't need to go quite down that road yet. Um, and so, um, so yeah, that just and so I'm actually seeing a um, uh, a uh, mental health counselor starting tomorrow who specializes in um, prenatal postpartum and, uh, and, uh, pregnancy loss. Um, 
as well. So um, finding someone who specializes in that was uh, was really helpful. So think hopefully about, it will be helpful. Yeah, think about acupuncture. Yeah, and I am seeing an acupuncturist. Um, oh, good. And I, yeah, and I've been seeing um, them since May. Um, and so, um, I have been seeing them, so that's been helpful. Um, one of the ladies who used to work for me, she had trouble getting pregnant and then she had twins. Yeah. And that that's kind of been a really interesting, cause like people talk a lot about infertility and, uh, the two times that we actively were trying we're pregnant both times. So it's, it's not so much a, you know, a, a difficulty getting pregnant. It's a difficulty keeping the pregnancy, um, which is, and they're both, they're both difficult. They're not, one's not, I wouldn't choose one over the other. They're definitely both. Um, yeah. That actually goes on a lot more than we talk about. I've known a few women with that situation, you know, my business partner had seven pregnancies in nine years. Yeah. 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 And and that was just one example. So, So, yeah, something in the, the hormone balance, the same thing for the lady who didn't have, um, couldn't sustain a pregnancy and then, twins um mm-hmm. I at the time I was reading I found this article about it too I can't even remember it's been so many years um that it's a, a hormonal thing and I yeah and I haven't had extra testing recently uh but before we started our pregnancy journey um my everything looked great right <laughs> like mm-hmm. hormones looked great thyroid looked great you know gut was great no more migraines you know my iron could have been a little bit better but overall like everything looked great and so um so then at that point you're like well if everything looks great and I went to a naturopath it wasn't like a mm-hmm. a allopathic medicine doctor who doesn't understand the complexity of of blood work, you know, so someone who truly understands how we can look at numbers differently. Um, and, uh, and yeah, so, um, someone did recommend though that, you know, if, um, if we get pregnant again, like getting progesterone tested, um, right away, um, to see if that's not keeping up with the HCG levels and, um, that is a route that we haven't gone yet. So, um, so yeah, I think that's what kind of why we were waiting for one more pregnancy, um, before, um, before we go like the testing genetic route. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. Our group tends to have these fantastic discussions and we always ask ourselves why we haven't recorded any of them. And now here we are. If you are interested in more content, we'll be releasing new episodes every other Monday. You can also check us out on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube by searching Therapy Solutions PLLC. That PLLC is super important. 
This is the Rehab Within Reach podcast, where all are encouraged to experience wholeness and independence. See you soon.